0: seems golden bleak and you just can't take it anymore Here it comes that glimmer of hope a light shine through the door. it's a hopeful show but never enough well it's a hopeful
1: show but never enough well
0: Well here we are another episode of The Hopeless Show I am so pumped today, Rohit, to have the guest we have on. I can't believe we were able to lock her down. That's pretty amazing. And it it's happens taken to a while. It's taken a while. But, but we finally did lock her down. Um, Olivia Dabo, who, uh, if you uh, know the show Wonder Years, Conan, Greedy. I mean, the her list of credits is... Uh, gigantic in in film and tv and she's in i really can't wait for this conversation because she was in shows like the wonder years but she also like took some time off to uh to you know live her life for a bit and not just do hollywood so it's pretty interesting that she's uh was a a star then took some time off and has continued to uh to do cool work and I'm just very excited to have this conversation with uh, Olivia.
2: Me too. And, and you know, and it couldn't come in a better episode. This is episode 106, which is dedicated to our favorite holiday, January 6th. <laughs> which <laughs> We've already discussed our feelings in previous episodes, you know. Yes. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this is our favorite holiday. Yeah. I mean, and so, definitely... it, which is a. That's a good segue to our theme of the show, yeah. which is overreactions. <laughs> and uh, Rohit might have just overreacted with his thoughts of the of the day. It oh, no. <laughs> being his know. favorite holiday. For my for the funniest thing I've seen in years, and I think I would love to dedicate an episode to it. So Well, um <laughs> but but the deaths and the that stuff was not funny. Eh, but, I mean, you take the good with the bad. <laughs> so well on that note uh how how's your week been uh
2: pretty good man we got we got my brother coming into town tonight um Ooh. You know, with his girlfriend and then we got my buddy sergio from costa rica he's in town he's staying with us we're hanging out he's also we've also commissioned him to do a huge art piece um for our home a giant nine foot wide by three foot tall canvas um and he's a great artist so he's actually uh in the living room painting it right now and
0: yeah. That's, uh, that's, uh, amazing. Yeah. And also, uh, a little funny. Why is that? It's just funny to picture you're doing your podcast while your friend is commissioned to paint in the other room. Like that's just a funny visual. <laughs> I mean,
2: we're a house full of artists. So what can I say?
0: You know? <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, you're givers. So, well, that's, uh, that's beautiful. And, uh, over the, I did one cool thing that, I'll share with the audience, which is I went to a Dodgers Padres game in San Diego. And let me just tell you this. It is insane. The The atmosphere was nutso. The, it was like a playoff game in May. And they oversold the stadium like way too much. They just put standing room everywhere. So there were just people like hanging from stairs because they couldn't. There was like just no, they, they just, I looked at the, uh, the capacity of the stadiums, like 42,000 and there were like 46 or 47,000. So they like just oversold lots and lots of seats. So they were just, it was just people everywhere kind of hanging to try to see. I had a seat, but I mean, it was just nuts.
2: That just gives me horrible sort of flashbacks to, I think it was two seasons ago, a woman and her child in San Diego at the baseball stadium in Petco Park, they fell off the bleachers and plummeted to their deaths. Remember that?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I guess they didn't learn their lesson. No. Obviously they could not. Have, they could have overreacted on this one. And, or no, underreacted. They were just <laughs> underreacted. There were just people. Every, it was just like people and in spaces and just, yeah, a little bit of chaos, so you would have liked that. But it was the Dodgers lost. Clayton Kershaw had one of his worst games I've ever seen. He walked five people. But... Mm. It was, very, it was just fun. that If you have not been down to Petco, we've talked about it on this show before, but if you've not been down to San Diego to the ballpark, even if you're not a huge baseball fan, it's just a really fun place to hang out. And it's right in the middle of the city, and there's stuff to do everywhere around there. And, and it's a real party. They really create a kind of party atmosphere at that stadium.
2: Yeah. I've, the first time I ever hung out, hung out in San Diego was when uh, two years ago I went down with you Um, and yes, I sadly worked half the damn weekend, but when we were hanging out, it was great. And I, the gas lamp district, he showed me around there. Um, we had a great time. Um, yeah. So Aaron was right. San Diego
0: is very, very, very fun. It's lit. Yeah. Um, which is a, which is a, well, it is lit, which is the direct segue into topic. Number one. Yes, let's get
2: right into this. Aaron. Have
0: Sometimes you- we nail segues. Sometimes we do it
2: right. Oh, my goodness. I, I think that I could learn a lot from you. Trust me. Um, but Aaron, have you been following or heard about the Banff wildfires?
0: No, I've been to Banff once. It's gorgeous. Um, it's in Canada on mm-hmm. the west side. In Calgary. And in, uh, well, no, it's in Alberta. Oh, it's in Alberta. In, I thought, you, isn't Alberta in Calgary? No, we so, and this is ruining the segue too. So I'm going to have to redo it in a sec, but so it is, uh, Calgary is the ci- the biggest city in Alberta. Right. So Banff cannot be in Calgary. Oh, right, right, right. Banff right, right. is the, is a mountain, t- a mountain city, like hours from Calgary. I mean, it's all dumb Canada shit. Who cares? But anyway, it's in, <laughs> as I, by the way, I'm wearing a blue Jays hat right now. Be, and my family is a uh, Canadian. So. I'm going to, I'll post the picture. So, so, if so yeah, now we, yeah. now we know. So what anyway, on really some fix.
2: more dumb Canada shit. So I just um, said,
0: I just said the Padres Dodgers stadium is lit. Ed Banff wildfire. So anyway, uh,
2: well. we, it, it's funny because the media has been kind of quiet about this one. And while it's very sad, it's very sad right now. As of the latest 20 in this, they've had to declare a provincial state of emergency. Um, over 24,000 people have had to be evacuated and do you want to know how it started? How? And I really don't want it to get canceled. I'm just spitting facts here. People yep. do not want us to get canceled, but this started as a prescribed burn. Now, prescribed burn means, hey, listen, we are actually going to light this fire. There's a lot of sometimes when you light, when you burn fires for training exercises, or you do it for, you know, uh, in farm areas, you you, like, you kind of burn to kind of like turn the crops and stuff, stuff like that, turn the soil rather. Um, but this prescribed burn, what happened mm. was, and again, I'm just reporting the facts, people. Um, there was a, it's called Women in Firefighting. It's an organization, um, and they held a women-only meeting um, uh-huh. in Banff, and the idea uh-huh. was to do to, to show that um, you know women can handle themselves and they don't need men to to handle this this burn equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said we're going to do a controlled fire. We're going to put it on. We're going to turn it off, and you can see that we are just as good firefighters as men, which I agree with. I completely agree. Okay. However, they said. We're not even going to be allowing to have be men on standby. They're not going to be anywhere in the property. We are going to be doing this. Unfortunately, the fire got out of control and ended up becoming a, a provincial, they like said, emergency. Huge evacuations. Um, it burned for six days before it was. Uh, they started to kind of keep it under control. Animals died. Homes were burnt. Um, and I think the the <laughs> the hopelessness is. Well, we may be joking about it. Is that it's just really bad luck, <laughs>
0: and like well, who do you, who do you think's at fault here? Right. So you're saying that. Just a question to clarify: you're saying that this was done by only women. Yes. Right. As a I, statement that women can do this without men. Which I I'm believe. Just trying to figure out can. your point.
2: My, I think the point that I'm making. My hopelessness comes from Aaron, is that I yeah. believe women are fully capable of being great firefighters and i just i feel my hopelessness comes from like mother nature just being vicious with whatever winds they say cause it to somehow lose control they said some there's some really winds. it's called mother different.
1: nature not father nature yeah
2: exactly mother nature's not looking out for her ladies here so i just feel hopelessness that this has become it's a very sad burn any forest fire is sad, and this one's really bad um, but it's sad that it's becoming such a punchline so can you help me find hope aaron from all the misogynists out there
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course I, mean, I that's what I'm here for. I uh a lot of things are chance and happenstance. And anyone who is judging this one singular moment as as something as where women can't can't handle fires, uh they should look themselves in the mirror and realize, wait, why am i even thinking that way why would i even be thinking in yeah. that train of thought because to be thinking that when it's just one incident and one instance is uh is in itself misogynistic and the misogynists are the people that even go there
2: yeah i agree i'm tired of of people treating women as if they can't do basic things and i think and even if there is something is, that they
0: they just can't do these trained. it doesn't women mean tra- they can't do it yes
2: these women are trained at all the the for the 4chan jokes all the twitter jokes all the reddit comments <laughs> i don't know it just, it just feels kind of sad and i don't want it to scare off the young female firefighters
0: keep firefight keep we appreciate your uh, service when you do yes. keep firefighting we everyone is equally capable of fight of uh being trained to do their diligence and fight fires and uh men versus women there's no application here everyone who is a firefighter is brave
2: yeah i agree and thank you all firefighters no matter what you got in your pants that for keeping us safe um and yeah let's just hope this 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 fire's put out pretty soon hopefully because i don't think that this this helps anybody um
0: yeah. We're even open if there is if they want to start a trans fire brigade. We're happy to uh, to help sponsor that on the show. We'll be the spark that starts the positive fire. Yes, and so whoa, that one was uh, she it was interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna hope God getting through that one. <laughs> 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 That's I, I you know this show for newer listeners. I'm hope gonging it. This show Rohit and I signs don't know what the other person is bringing to the table. I did not know <laughs> what this was. And so, you know, science things are a little bit a bit stickier when you're trying to get out of the situation much like being stuck in a wildfire. I kind of felt like I was stuck in a podcast cast wildfire right there. So I'm glad that's over with. Oh, so and to to get away from that topic completely, uh, one other thing about Olivia, the interview will be coming up shortly. She's also a character in Star Wars, and we I can't wait to talk to her about that. That's wild. Like, she is a character in Star Wars, Her and she's been in lots of different Star Wars things. Her character in Star Wars is named Luminera Unduli. Oh. And she's in the Star Wars universe. She's, uh, um, huh. And she was also the voice of Black Widow in uh, the Avengers a while back. Anyway, lots of things to talk to her about. Very excited about that, and fun to ask some Star Wars stories. I guess right? Hell yes!
2: Oh my god, that's Luminara! Yeah, yeah, yeah! Like the nun-looking lady, the green one.
0: Yeah, so that's her. So yeah, that'll she gets be cool.
2: smoked in. Uh, sorry, spoiler.
0: Don't spoil it. Uh, yeah. So we have we're gonna skip crypto today because we want to get to the interview, and yeah. there's also nothing good to report. And we're going to go to our sports update because we we have a sad bit of news to report on. Uh, a legend of baseball, a legend of the, the baseball community, the sports community, the Orioles community, the mm-hmm. Mets community, the Rohit and Aaron doing something community. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's going to be a loss to drug dealers in New York. It's a loss to golf courses is... It goes on and on what this man's impact was on the sport of baseball. Matt Harvey, the Dark Knight, has retired. I for <laughs> one am am, uh, I am I'm crushed by the news too. He uh, was is a pretty terrible guy, but but always led to uh, a lot of entertainment. There was one game in New York. you can look up the story where he, went out partying the night before went on like a Coke binge with women. And I think there was a a threesome involved woke up or never went to sleep, went golfing immediately, and then finally passed out and missed his start. He was supposed to start the game that night. And instead they couldn't find him because he was asleep and never showed up to the stadium. And that's just like stuff of legend. Like, like, most Look, you always want to see like who's the difference maker. Most pitchers, almost all of them, make their starts. And they're not golfing that day on a Coke binge and having threesomes. Matt Harvey is a defier of that.
2: Yeah. So what is the part
0: that you don't like about him? Because you only said cool things. I didn't say I don't like him. I, I'm mourning this loss. And yeah, then the Rohit, the Rohit and I part is we went... We were in Colorado together um, a number of years ago. And Rohit and I kind of went away from the group a little bit. And uh, we were sitting up in the Mile High part of the stadium. And Matt Harvey was the pitcher that day. And I don't, was it Angels? I, for whoever, whatever team he was on, I guess it was Mets maybe. So he pitched, we got to see him pitch in person. And make lots of Matt Harvey jokes. And I just remember that, the two of us having that moment together. And I'll I'll never forget that moment that you and I had with Matt Harvey. And uh, all the Mets fans used to call it Happy Harvey Day. They made shirts. So it was a Happy Harvey Day. So oh anyway, just God, you're right. remember that. Do you have any thoughts on, on Mr. Harvey?
2: You know, I do remember there was this one moment when I lived in New York. I think it was when I lived in New York. Yeah, uh, Matt Harvey. He was supposed to... Kind of be the key, the guy to take the Mets pitching staff to the World Series. He was like supposed to be like this, you know. He had he was he, and he had he had a great season that year. Um, and I think there was I just remember there was some sort of meltdown or something happened. Oh, he had thoracic outlet syndrome in his arm, so he had really bad and really bad injury that's impossible, for pitch, very difficult for pitcher to recover from. Um, but I just remember there was so much hope. In the city of New York, all resting on his shoulders and to see it kind of like a guy with a five o'clock shadow and dark hair and all gruff and all that, you could definitely see the Batman, the Bruce Wayne kind of thing to it. So I'm sad it didn't work out because that would have been very exciting.
0: Yeah, he had the one world series where he was the dark Knight, but he lost the big game. I think he stayed into the ninth inning. and Yeah, yeah. That was it. And he got into some stuff. He was like providing drugs to Tyler Skaggs who died of an overdose. So there's some very Um, bad, bad Matt Harvey pieces. I think he's still, he retired, but I believe he's still suspended from baseball for distributing drugs to players. There's a bunch like he's, yeah, he's, uh, and he also says he used to do a lot of pills too with the, with the cocaine, probably a bad combo. So, anyway, uh, Matt Harvey, yeah, you were probably a pretty terrible human, but you'll be missed for the fun parts that that you added, the craziness and the insane stories, and we love those on this show. So, it is now time to interview and talk to and have a great conversation with um, amazing actress, voice actress, TV star, movie star. And uh, someone, I know I grew up watching, um, Olivia Dabo. So uh, let's, let's go, let's go, let's bring her on. Welcome, Olivia Dabo, to our show. And the mattress, so you're asking about this mattress. So why is it there? Yeah, uh, why? One day I came into the office and this mattress was just there. And why? instead of moving it, instead of sleeping on it, I just let it sit there. And then we'll post some pictures from the show and listeners were asking, "Aaron, why the hell do you have a mattress behind you? Just like you did. And so then someone submitted, was it your idea Rohit to do this or did someone ask us to do it? I forget.
2: So Alice, the listener was like, what the hell is this? I hate it. Um, This is offensive. And in like just visually offensive, she's an artist and she's like, this is just so it looks just terrible. But so then we decided we are going to name the mattress Alice and (laughs) give it eyes and googly (laughs) eyes. And so, yeah, it's our mascot now. So this is our show
0: mascot. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think?
1: I I think it's great. I just think you want to be careful that it doesn't take the attention off of you because it's really the star in the room.
0: I know, but that just speaks to. And you're the star. No, but it speaks to how little a presence I have on screen.
2: I mean, they <laughs> say that sometimes the best acting is when you're not speaking. And really, it's stealing the scene. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's a
1: scene stealer. That's what yeah. it is. Well said, Rowan.
2: Yeah, it's stoic. Well, It is very right.
1: stoic. It's yeah. so still that it steals the scene because it just has these eyes. Try, I'm trying to focus on you, Aaron, but my—I have to be honest. I'm not going to lie. My eyes, my eyes go to its eyes.
0: The mattress is far better looking than me, too. So it's just—I—I uh, <laughs> I, I I get don't it. I do not
1: know about that. I do not know about that.
0: You had to think about it. So. Um, <laughs>
1: It's just that things are getting weirder and weirder, so I'm trying to go with the fluff. You know That's the me?
0: goal of the show, but we'll we'll take it back for a second because no one uh, no one listening can see this mattress, but I will put a picture up of it again just so you can see what we're talking about. But yes. Olivia, it is so good to have you here. Um, you've done so much in your in your career and life, and you're such a cool person and. So what's been going on? I know, I want to, I have a bunch of things I want to talk about. But first, I know you were just in New York. Um, is it, is some, whatever was going on in New York, is it something you can share? Is it a unshareable thing?
1: Oh, well, um, I could talk about what I did in Kentucky before I went to New York. I uh, was just in New York. Actually, it was very exciting. I, I just did a one-year's reunion, so with with the whole family and, and we just uh, yeah, we did. a We did that in New Jersey and it was just an opportunity for kind of fans uh, to come and to see us and, and us to do sort of like, uh, you know, meet and greets. And, and uh, you know, there were a lot of it was it, it was like a huge re- kind of it was like a cross between a rock and roll convention and a, a re- reuniting of, uh, you know, wonderful shows like The Sopranos and The Wonder Years and. Ah, uh, the Beach Boys were there, and huh. <laughs> you know, um, uh, gosh, some some really great heavy metal groups actually. Because I'm, I, I, actually love like Metallica and uh, God, I'm trying to remember the name Metalhead. Was it Metalhead?
2: Motorhead oh. or was was Danzig oh.
1: there also? Um, who? Ah,
2: uh, Danzig. Because this sounds like a lot in New Jersey. Uh, yeah, I, it, I'm well, from New it Jersey. Had, yeah,
1: it, yeah. It, you know, the vibe wise, it was. Uh, it had kind of a, a CBGBs vibe to it, uh, which is sort of a New Jersey thing, isn't it? Because if you think about the Ramones and, you the know, New York like, Dolls, all those guys, that's all, yeah. that's all New Jersey. And it's, uh, yeah. there's just so much artistry that I don't, I don't think Lou Reed is from New Jersey, but he, you know, just speaking of CBGBs and all the people that played there, obviously the Talking Heads and Blondie and all these groups that came out of there, but, yeah, the New York Dolls, it had very much that vibe. And when you think about that and then that permeates into the Sopranos and then the Wonder Years, like Priscilla Presley was there. It was just really kind of cool. It was this Whoa. amalgamation and the Beach Boys. So it was this amalgamation of all these different kind of genres that all mesh together. And uh, so that was super cool. And uh, it was it's like a business trip sort of work trip but also i used to live in new york so i got an opportunity to see a lot of old friends from when i was there doing the odd couple in 2007 i was there doing broadway so so that was really super cool
0: and uh and the convention was in the city because uh no, it
1: was in new jersey
0: oh, i was in jersey and then yeah. um and then kentucky you had mentioned you add yeah, some in Kentucky I, I, I just,
1: too. I've just done a a, a new series called uh, Hot Kitchen, which is um, a hilarious spoof of a a, um, a cooking show. And It's very much uh, in the vein of Ki- Christopher Guest. You know the kind of a, the, the spoof life, the spoof aspect of it. It's um, you know very straight, very deadpan but incredibly hilarious and very unwoke, which <laughs> you know, I think, yes. I yes. think we all find that rather refreshing. Um, so <laughs> I, I I play this character um, called Bam Bam and um, I decided to, do, I do a lot of voiceovers, so I decided to use my sort of prepubescent, you know, boy voice, um, you know, so I kind of, like, gave her this voice, you know, she's kind of, she's like from the Midwest, her name's Bam Bam, you know, and she's a lesbian, but, uh, yeah, but she sort of stuck in the 90s, you know, and, uh, she lives in, in Portland, and, um, I own an all-female, all, uh, you know, m- female-operated steakhouse called Butch, you know, that's <laughs> that's in portland and you know i've got a wife and some cats you know and i love the show like i'm i'm a huge fan of the show uh and, but i get to be on the show and that's what's so exciting and i i kind of i win the show I, I win the i'm 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 like one of the contestants who wins i win at the end i'm, I'm the best cook so um uh, wait
0: wait really wait fun. can i can i can i ask you a question as bam bam
1: yeah go uh, shoot shoot for it
0: All right. So, so Bam Bam, uh, when this show comes out, uh, do you think it's going to skyrocket you, uh, to the top, uh, you know, the restaurant will succeed and, and will there be anyone that you're not going to allow into the restaurant?
1: Well, you know, I'm very green. So, you know, yeah, definitely. I'm going to basically have my pick of the crop of wherever I want to work, you know, because it's kind of raised my pedigree of cooking up a couple of matches, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna let in any people who are just, you know, bullshit con artists. You know, <laughs> it's got to be people who are sort of genuine and want to be there for the food and like the food that I make.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, so fuck them. Like, if if you don't, if you don't like the person, they're out.
1: If I don't like them, and I'm really, I mean, for me to not like somebody is like a big deal because I, I'm pretty open to every kind of personality, but uh. You know, there's some people that just smell really bad. You know, they don't take care of themselves. And uh, yeah, they're just not really worthy of the, you know, the, the cuisine that I make. So that's really the litmus test right there.
0: And and just one last question, Bam Bam. Um, uh, so Jews. Um,
1: Did you say Jews?
0: Yeah, Jews. Are, are Jews are Jews going to be allowed? I'm a Jew, so I'm just curious if I'll be allowed.
1: I I would I would certainly let Jews in. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I'm half Jew too. Excellent. My yes. mother is my mother's Jewish, so that means I'm Jewish, right?
0: Um. Yeah. I mean, sure. Why not? Yes. I'm
1: a I'm an Iraqi Jew, though. There's a big difference. <laughs>
0: Dude, that's me too. That's crazy.
1: Well, what, Where? I mean, where's your heritage from? From Baghdad, or are you like? Uh,
0: yeah, Baghdad. Baghdad. My family's from Baghdad. And my grandparents are from Baghdad. Uh, my grandfather was born in Baghdad. They met uh, during a war. I don't remember the name of it. It was like the Persian-ish Gulf War.
2: Or Desert Storm.
0: Desert Yeah, oh, Desert yeah, Stormy. Desert
1: Storm. That was rough.
0: That was a good one. That was a
2: fun one.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> that was well, thank you, Bam Bam, for being on the show.
1: Time. Thank you so much for the curiosity
0: yes <laughs> i'm bam curious uh i'm
1: so bam curious yeah
0: you could you can steal that and use it for the for your restaurant um
1: okay great name for title of a restaurant
0: <laughs> bam curious so <laughs> well that was fun so i am so, roy what are you i'm so into this show
1: i i yeah, me, when, too. Uh, me too me too uh, when
0: and where yeah, when and where?
1: Well, it's well, you know, we're, it's sort of perfect timing because we uh, there's a writer strike, as you all know. Yeah. Um. So things are sort of it's, for a show that that has yet to, uh, be picked up. I mean, obviously, it's. <clears throat> I think the likelihood of, I don't want to say Netflix because you know people are sort of like. Netflix, bad, bad, yeah. right now. with, the, with But the money, track. money, but, but, good. But in terms of the edginess of the show, uh, it's, you know, I'm sure that, that that they are a contender and Hulu and, and you know, so it's sort of like uh, people are getting getting dibs on it right now. And it's a great opportunity because there's not a lot of content, there's no content really other than scripts that are already written that are being made right now just depending on how long this strike lasts
0: which it's Um, probably going to be yeah what uh because i think it's going to last a a long time i think also being uh, surrounded which sucks which sucks
1: it sucks because it affects so many people from you know grips to writers directors actors you know i mean catering uh wardrobe i mean you know an entire industry that Rep, you know, each person is part of the tribe to sort of put together a show, a movie. Um, even, as even, you the know, market, so, even the marketing
2: um, department. Even the marketing department. Yeah, I everybody, it, it everybody, everybody. It's puts everybody, it's,
1: puts everybody yeah. uh, out of out of work, and and you know, it's it's uh, it, it couldn't be worse timing, really, could it? With this in, <laughs> this inflation that we're going that we're having to contend with, and going into the summer, you know.
0: No, you know what but, we you know what we don't what we, we could use right now is money.
1: <laughs> yeah, lots of it, lots L- of it, lots you know? of it.
0: Um, but let's go. Let's talk about it, like happier times for a minute. Because I I
1: just thought to myself it might be rather ironic or it's strange rather that if like a bunch of directors and actors and everybody that we've just been talking about the whole pool of. Uh, people that 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 make make a show uh just started just started uh, going toward crime. <laughs> started like you know ripping off people's cars and like you know it, it just. I think that's a show within a show. Like. All these people who have a certain level of, of quality of life, you know, because they earn a certain amount, you know, every year that that money just isn't coming in anymore. You know what? What do those kind of people do? What, what, how far are they going to take it to, to bring some income in? You know? you know,
2: it's really funny you say that because I shit you not. I don't know if it was last night or this morning that Aaron and I were literally texting about starting our own crime syndicate. Yes. So no. that we, can, we were. yeah. So we can kind of yeah. literally we were like, oh, hey, listen, we need to we need to hustle and make some money. So if you would <laughs> like to join our crime syndicate, we are accepting applications.
1: I'm in. I'm in. Excellent. Like Flynn. Yeah. Excellent. I think I can yeah. really bring a lot to the party.
2: Yes. And so we we'll, so hope to have good like like dental and yeah. you know, just good benefits.
1: Insurance yeah. Insurance is everything. I mean, yeah. listen, let's not let's 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 not kid ourselves.
0: Right. Yeah. Insurance is everything. And in this case, what we, our plan for medical is to go hold up a doctor's office and then make them do any procedures that are necessary.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, some people might go as far as, you know, having a whole new face put on so that they don't get recognized for kind of robbing a bank.
0: That's, that's perfect. We can do that. Um, We can hold up. We're, we're also happy to hold up any plastic surgeon in our crime syndicate. We, yeah,
2: we are amassing quickly a collection. You know, if you've seen a Game of Thrones, you know, like the Faceless Men, we do have quite a a, a building collection of just faces um, yeah. that we've skinned that we could use yeah. in any of these situations.
0: <laughs> and we have mattresses. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and we have uh, this mattress. Yeah. So everything
2: you need for a crime family.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that's the plan. Um, and anyone, anyone listening, if you'd like to join our crime syndicate. You can uh, you can inst- you know where to reach us on Instagram, and uh, and we'll accept your applications. And uh, very excited for this. And yeah. Olivia is going to be on board. So and I'm
1: going to be I'm going to go be going through every application just with yes. a fine tooth comb. Yes. to make you- sure that you guys have what it takes because this is a really uh, undercover production, and uh, you know we just need to know that uh, nothing leaks out. Yes.
2: And you will be our head of HR and our head of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Yes. We need w- diversity, inclusion. We're looking for a blonde haired British woman, uh, white, white blonde haired Brit. Is exact yeah. for diversity yes. inclusion. So if you could yes. head up that department and. Yes. Yes. <laughs> a good
1: rich goes a long way.
2: Yes. A good as soon as
0: you fit the, you know, <laughs>
1: the, the,
2: the Aryan nation vibe. That yes. You got, you know. <laughs> <laughs> our diversity and inclus- inclusion department of our
0: crime syndicate. And it, yeah. it, for our listeners, if you're not enjoying this conversation, I'm just, I, I, I don't care. Because. We- <laughs> we are (laughs) it's
1: really just about us after all yeah
0: Yeah. um well why don't I? well let's go back a little bit because I I do have actual questions for you that um that I think people yeah it's, it's impressive I know um so I am curious how you got into this stupid industry in the first place because I know you started with um you were in uh the big Arnold Schwarzenegger movie and uh how did that come about? why why did you decide to uh, to to do this uh, crazy industry in the first place?
1: Um, you know really it, it generated from um, I, I suppose being exposed at a very young age to um, you know the theater living in England and uh, having parents who were very involved in uh, you know as artists, you know my my father being you know, the lead singer of Manfred Man and writing these songs like Build Me Up Buttercup and Handbags and Glad Rags for Rod Stewart. And my mum was in a movie, uh, you know, a little movie called Two Thousand One Space Odyssey and had the first oh, line nice. and she was also in Hard Day's Night. Um and, you know, it was a huge model actually. Uh she was Vidal Sassoon's first model and brought in the A line Bob and there was a real sense of nostalgia, uh when I was born and uh, my brother was born into uh, this family, uh, really. And, you know, so I just was around artists throughout my childhood. And, uh, you know, we had people like Elton John coming over and going down to the basement with my dad to write a song and Cat Stevens and my dad won mm-hmm. the same label at Arista uh, A&M. And, um, and, you know, then, they just so I I you know, I just was around it. And then I started doing theatre uh in the local community um in Taos, New Mexico. We moved to Taos, New Mexico when I was about nine. Hmm. And um that was a complete culture shock for me, but it really gave me an understanding of um, you know, living in America, but you know, the you know, Native American Indians who I'd never met before and it was all the residue of easy rider. You know, when we first got to Taos, New Mexico, I, we went onto the reservation and there was this Buffalo rain dance and I got to meet Dennis Hopper and
0: didn't know who he
1: was, but I got, I get to, I got to meet all these really cool Aryan men in in ponchos who wanted to be, (laughs) you know, Native Americans so badly (laughs) that they basically would do every, anything they could, aesthetically to morph into that you know because that was the epitome of coolness you know and uh i just was really a very wide-eyed and bushy tailed both my brother and i were you know uh just with this whole new culture uh we'd moved there with our three cats and you know my mom and dad had found this sort of treasured uh artistic place where dh lawrence had lived at one stage with his wife Mm -hmm. and You know, Georgia O'Keeffe obviously painted all the landscapes of Santa Fe and Taos. And so D.H. Lawrence, I I mentioned that, Mabel Dodge, R.C. Gorman. So it was a very eclectic, artistic haven, really, for whomever globally wanted to come and find it. It was like a mecca of of the artistic world. And um, that in and of itself really opened my eyes to... um, independently of what my parents were already doing and were obviously artists, it, it, it enlightened me and awakened the artistic side in myself. And so I, you know, had always written songs and I'd always loved being on stage and it just made me want to be a performer. And I think just to correlate with The Wonder Years, it, it, that experience, that bohemian lifestyle, I think was a direct Root to me eventually getting the one years is and understanding what it was like to be a free spirit, to be able to play, uh, you know, a hippie uh, who was very opinionated and dogmatic and, um, you know, quite, uh, you know, just, just very anti-Vietnam. And so it's like it gave me a lot to play her. But I think just it, it, as well as that, uh, uh, other than that, it also um, made me it was like kind of priming me for, um, you know, taking that to the next level that by the time we got to Los Angeles, you know, I got an agent. And when I got Conan the Destroyer, I had um, I just it, I just I, I mean, I guess I got lucky. I was the right age, but I'd always wanted to play a princess because I always wanted to be a princess. So it was kind of a kismet thing i used to paint princesses and draw them when i went to a french school in london called the lycée francais and i had a we had an au pair called Ma, 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 marianique who uh, who i'd say you know marianique will you paint me a princess please and she'd say <laughs> well yes but you know you have to go to school and uh, really maybe we do it when you get back and i said no i want to, i want to see it now paint, paint a princess <laughs> princess and looking in her in the reflection in the water and and paint a prince behind her and i was like really into that whole theme of you know i was the quintessential girl that uh you know you you believe that dream that you know prince charming is gonna come and you know i was just very disney i was just born very disney
0: so you thought prince charming was gonna come and then you got arnold schwarzenegger
1: yeah, then I then I thought I'd go for a more masculine, <laughs> ma- masculine prince charming, you know, with a sword and a little bit more yeah. swashbuckling, and definitely a Austrian suited me more, I think. <laughs> yeah,
2: which is why you're on this podcast with us right now. Yeah, that's right. It, it's yeah.
1: all a whole. It's like made an entire figure figure eight, really. The whole thing yeah. just brought us to this moment in time. Would you say the this is the lightsaber pen-
2: the- somewhere here? Oh, he well, loves that's Star good Wars
1: because yeah. I relate to to Life <laughs> <and> I... <laughs> Aside from being Disney, I'm I'm also very Star Wars, so we've yes. got both things.
0: <laughs> and uh, what I want to, I think Rowan has some a Star Wars question, but I just am curious. So once you got on that first set of a big movie, right, with the um big dude, big star, um,
1: it
0: was a big dude, big dude. Although I when I I met him a while back, and and he, I was surprised at how not tall he was. Like
1: he's yeah, definitely for me. I really I compared to Wilt Chamberlain who was also in the film. You know, it was he didn't seem very tall. But then you take William, I mean uh, Wilt Chamberlain, out of the picture. He's still he's massive. I mean, it's just the no fat thing of like not an inch of fat. A uh, very lean but incredibly muscular. Where there's just muscles bounding out. Yeah. You know, from head to toe. And, um, you know, he's such a larger than life uh, kind of human being that it makes him seem large. And then on camera, obviously, you look larger or taller. And so I think people have always uh, assumed that he was much bigger than he was. But, you know, let us not forget that in order to become movie stars, you actually shouldn't be very tall. No. I mean Pacino isn't very tall, Derriero isn't very tall. You know, you meet you meet all of these people who you think is larger than life because they kind of come alive on screen and, and seem larger than life. And then you meet them in real life and they're actually half the size. Half. So it's it's amazing what happens between real life and then projected onto the screen that kind of magic that that happens.
2: Do you think that's because maybe of how, you know, cameras are positioned and how, you know, so if there's too much of a height difference between two individuals, it ends up being a bit of, you know, they have to do a bit more work kind of with just angles and everything like that, or do you think that plays a role into it?
1: Well, I think that they're really technical in the, t- in the casting because, um, I mean, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a woman, um, and even at that age, as, as a girl, Um, I, uh, they always, you know, they always kind of cast, you know, against the man. So, you know, they are, the first thing they ask you is how tall you are, because if you're if you're taller than the lead actor, it's just not going to work. So they don't go any further with their uh, interest unless you're (laughs) just so amazing. I mean, I had to, obviously I was 14 when I did that film and when I kissed him, I, I had to be put on Apple boxes. So that was no problem. If you're shorter than the than the leading man, it's just that if you'd put like Bridget Nielsen up against him, which, you know, yeah. they, I think, you know, they, they'd have to really be technically savvy about how they would, you know, make it work aesthetically.
0: That movie and, you know, being 14, princess, like sort of a sexualized princess in a way, was yes, that scantily clad scantily clad the uh the bre- the breasts <laughs> were the breasts were showing is that um looking back right? or like is that like, right is that right <laughs> yeah <it> was exactly <laughs> let's get to the point is that right or is that wrong
1: um well i mean i think it's all subjective right i mean it's you know you're going thousands of years back in time to a time that we only are familiar with through comic books, um, through artists to, you know, sort of do their best to kind of create a Sumerian, Sumerian times. And I think that the, the, the film and Rafaela and Dino De Laurentiis really, they'd already made the first con and they'd made Red Zonia. Um, and they were really champions in terms of creating, the unknown or fantasy worlds. Um, So, and really they were the first when you think about it. I mean, you you had Flash Gordon and and a few other films that they were affiliated with, but um, look at the women in in any of those films and and they're all scantily clad. And I think it's just that, that's the way uh, women were in those days. And I think based on the fact that the genesis of all of these stories came from comic books, Um, I think the other way of looking at it is that was the job of the artist and so that was just a choice he made you know why do you know sex sells and women uh, looking voluptuous and uh, having fewer clothes on more than more is going to sell a comic book or two more than if you would go the other way that's just kind of my take on it but uh, I think um, it's funny I was reading something on Instagram the other day that was written by uh, it was it it was the uh, Conan fans or something whoever runs the all of the Conan you know sort of trivia stuff and so they had a specific thing about my character about Princess Jenna that I found fascinating and I liked it immediately I you know put a little heart by it because it was educating me in retrospect about uh, my character and they actually mention her being scantily clad but they also Hmm. talk about you know, her character traits and, you know, that she's clairvoyant and she goes where she sees herself led and why she choose, uh, well, she didn't choose. Uh, Sarah Douglas's role chose Conan uh, because of my destiny and she needed somebody who would specifically be able to veer me in the right direction. Though I had a bodyguard, which was Bombata, but um, they talked about Sumerian times and, you know, She's a woman child. I mean, it was important that they cast somebody who was spunky and ad- definitely still had that adolescent uh uh quality, but is becoming a woman and obviously girls at that particular time, you know, it's they're making a transition and they're exercising their power. And I think right. part of that is um you know, you are your hormones change, you, you start to become more aware of your body. And, you know, and, and she, I think, carried herself like a princess that eventually then permeated into being a queen, which I thought was really cool. Uh, I love the arc. And I love that she kind of does become, you know, a young woman, she goes from a girl, who sort of, you know, being going where she feels herself led. And she's got, you know, she protects Zula you know, the Grace Jones role yeah. and she fights for Grace her. And she says she gives orders, you know, like Conan, you know, save her, you know. And so she she spoke her mind and I like that. So I just was able to play around with, you know, obviously I got into some of these costumes and thought, bloody hell, you know, I never, I never, uh, would, I, my mother would never let me wear this, you know, at least <laughs> let alone my father. But. You know, the Italians are like, oh, it looks great. No, we love this. This is so beautiful and it's going to look great with the jewelry and the, you know, the teased hair and all of it. So perfect, you know. And um, But, you know, the Italians like that too, as well as creating a Sumerian look. They were very uh, meticulous about every little thing from my tattoo, on, you know, on my chest to uh, my hair to you know, the boots I wore and each outfit was actually concocted for um, a specific scene so that you had this gradual, uh, which was kind of beautiful and very artistic, I thought, the way they kind of had her morph and evolve until she became queen. So,
0: yeah, I
1: thought it was all really uh, great choices.
0: And it's cool because that character was about coming of age. And then... We could go. We could go on like about all kinds of stuff you've done. But then the Wonder Years, which you brought up a lot, which is, uh, I think, one of the best shows ever. And um, and I'm not Thank just you. saying. I'm when whenever we've had people on, when I don't like their show, I also tell them that it's you know you're in a pretty shitty show. So I I do <laughs> I do mean it. Um, the that character was the already you you're coming of age, but you're already of age to now be a rebel to be this totally different character. So, uh, and, and also to be like an American rebel, a very American rebel, um, very sixties American uh, rebel. So what was that like to take on that character in this iconic show? Uh, Now iconic show at the time, you had no idea if it would go past, uh, one season, but yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I definitely, uh, not to toot my horn or the show's horn, but I mean, it has stood the test of time and it'll always be something very close to my heart and I will always feel eternally grateful for that opportunity to be part of something that's so important uh, in terms of American television and nostalgia and really as time goes on, the value of the themes of the show and the show and the cast Uh, Because of the lessons that are embedded in each show, it's just um, it it just becomes more valuable because I think it was it it was made in the 80s, you know, to make a show a three camera show in the 80s that was a period piece, so to speak. it was not easy to pull off, you know, but it just, it was about the cast. It was about Carol and Neil. It was about Carol Black and Neil Marlins who had done growing pains prior to the one D Years, which is such a completely different show. When you yeah. think about it, it's a, it's a sitcom. But uh, Also, it's
0: also not singing. as good. It's also not as good. See, I'm being yeah, honest. I
1: mean, I think it's thoroughly entertaining, but yes. I think it really gave them the opportunity to step it up to, I mean, I don't know if you knew this, but Neil Marlins, I mean, Neil was spread in the 60s. So he, he it was his one oh. the years and it was really his identity. So much of his identity was wrapped up in that show. And it was really important to him that he displayed with conviction uh, as truthfully as possible what his childhood was like. And it, it was also, you know, both he and Carol, there was a choice that they made not to define or specify um where in America it took place. And I think that was a really smart decision because that's why I think so many people, it appealed to so many people. They in their own imagination could um assume that it was it was their wonder years. It was hey that that's that it that's exactly where I grew up. It's it's definitely Indiana. Some people thought oh that's that's the outskirts of New York in the boroughs. Yeah. Oh, it could be California. It could be the South. I mean, obviously not the South because of our accents, but, but, you know, it could have been really pretty much anywhere in America with the exception of a few places. And I think, um, you know, it's just, it was just so special. It has it had such a, uh, a, an intimate feel when you were watching it, I think because of the narration and all the casting was so perfect and the writing was so stellar and, um, I think that that's, you know, there's a formula to certain shows like All in the Family. some a lot of Norman Lear's shows that he did, you know, MASH and yeah. shows like that, that you look back and you go, well, you know, it just, it, there's, you're just never going to see a show like that anymore. Though I think the new Wonder years has been really, it was really, has been really great. Uh, and it, I love the fact that it's given us as the viewer an opportunity to see a whole different side of that time in history, you know, dealing with civil rights and Martin Luther King and all the things that we kind of tapped into, but it's also given us the opportunity to hear Motown soundtrack rather than yeah. Stefan Wolf and Janice Joplin and Hendrix and, you know, Crosby, Stills and Nash.
0: And is that with the, um, with the, with your character, Karen in the show? was it a direct relation to his to neil's sister did he have a sister that he was basing it on or
1: about 15 years ago i'd say when we all got together the whole cast and neil and carol were there and we went and did this uh we were asked to go to usc to the film department to talk about the chemistry of what makes a a show work and how how you what's the chemistry that's that needs to be aligned in order to have a win-win you know something that's immediately successful the network love it the public love it and um because that's what all the kids in there were trying to do and they said something my name came up and i think somebody said well you know well olivia's not even american i mean what what you know what were you guys thinking when you cast olivia because she's not american and like when there have possibly been a better actress who was american and they were like
0: well that's the problem going to to speak at usc is you get idiots okay sorry (laughs) i interject so
1: but but what they answered with was just kind of so it caught me really it kind of I, i just kind of like it really moved me actually they said well what olivia had was A quality that we were looking for it was her essence and she understood somehow even though it wasn't her time of you know when we shot the show you know it was a period piece she there's something very 60s about her her spirit and her essence and her bohemian sensibility is why we cast her Hmm. um so you know with karen I read that script. I remember going down Laurel Canyon Boulevard, and I usually don't read in a car because I get a headache like anyone else would. Um, But I just was so um, enamored with the script on such a visceral level that I just couldn't stop turning the pages. And I was just like mind blown going, this is the best script I've ever read in my life. Like not, not even just a TV script, it's the best film script I've ever written, the best play. It just spoke to me. And she, uh, Karen, spoke to me uh, in a very intense way. And, you know, I just thought this is my part. Like, I I just I'm going to play this role. I completely manifested it. Hmm. You know, I did everything. I went back five times. I borrowed wardrobe from my mom's closet. I got extensions down to my ass. Uh, I was just like anything I had to do to put myself in that era Uh, successfully and truthfully is what I did and I really just took everything that I had experience wise and where I'd lived and morphed it into her and every time I went in there it's just you know it's just kind of about continually proving that you understand a character and then committing to it as authentically as you can and you know that's sort of my feeling on acting overall anyway is like There has to be a moment where you detach and go, look, Okay, I've done the reading and I was I was uh, I brought as much of myself as I could. And my understanding of who this person is, I made my own individual authentic choices. And then if they cast you, great. If they don't, then that's great, too. At least you can live with yourself because you haven't done a watered down version of what you think they're looking for or what you think it should be. It, It should be. What speaks to you? Um, and that's because acting at the end of the day, all we have is our choices and it's about truth. And that's the thing that really registers either on screen or on stage or, you know.
0: And so with Karen, um, it se- sounds like there was a lot of Olivia brought to Karen. There was yeah. uh, Neil's family and Olivia both brought to this to make this This one uh, character that's now become, you know, that the show and the characters are TV legend. So um, when you do an event like you just did in in New Jersey and you get to rewatch it and re-remember it, this is maybe an odd question, but I'm just curious. Like, how much do you still see of yourself when you're watching that versus... Oh, that person! Like you're a different person now. Like, how much of Olivia is still Karen when you see it?
1: Uh, quite a lot, because <laughs> I mean, I was pretty young. I was like seventeen when I started the show. But you know, you know, you know what they say when they say, as soon as you kind of come out, you are who you are, your own person. I mean, some people more than others, but I think with me, I was pretty defined, and I had and. Quite stubborn and quite opinionated, <laughs> and quite you know, get like I like to get into d- debates. I like to seek the truth, um, and I like to stick up for people that I love. And you know, I, I, there's certain traits that is that are quintessentially Olivia that are kind of also quintessentially Karen. And um, you know, there's also a tenderness that Karen had that you didn't get to see the whole time that that I would be on camera but there were certain episodes which luckily they gave me where you got to see all of her colors and you got to see uh, what was beneath the dogmatic uh, you know opinionated but really you know most people at that age in that point in time whether you were pro-Vietnam or anti-Vietnam you know you were a little bit lost uh, as a teenager in the 60s, and but you were you were very uh, clear on so many things, but because there was this war going on that was so unjust, you know, not unlike the war in U- the Ukraine right now. I mean, all war just doesn't seem right to me. You know, it doesn't balance yeah. out in terms of why we're actually having it and why people are being killed and we're losing lives that affects families and this, that, and the other. But uh, I think, you know, just what was beneath all of that was actually a very sensitive human being is that i think when we're that age in our you in our youth in our especially in our teens uh we have a bravado up you know and mm-hmm. um in the way that jane fonda uh does in like the china syndrome a kind of t- thought a lot about oh, yeah. her when i was like looking through movies and things like that movies from the 60s and the 70s uh spoke to me just the the female approach the feminism gloria stein and all of those those women were like oh i'm, I'm a feminist and hear me roar i mean yeah don't fuck with me i'm on a, i'm on my power trip you know <laughs> and it's, it's just <laughs> I, I, I think you know and fierce and you know i think that this generation have a lot to learn from those women because that they really did put their ass on the line and um you know
0: they didn't just tweet at, about at it a
1: time that was that was you know it was kind of uncouth so uh by the time the show ended i was doing a play with uh, the taper with Juliet Stevenson and Frank Langella called scenes from an execution I was Hmm. um, I did uh, you know a film with Bridget Fonda which was the remake of uh, La Femme Nikita I was already doing movies and I so that choice creatively really paid off for me so I feel like um, there was just a great springboard for me um, on, on on being on the one d and getting the exposure but also um getting the opportunity to also play other characters so that i could you know just uh continue to to, to get better and and have great experiences
0: and so, many, um, I, and I mean, so I, many i remember
1: doing greedy it was uh you know it was a, it was great i did greedy and wayne's World too at the same time and my agents had to figure out a way with the dates because they're completely conflicting. I'll give you an example. It's like I remember, you know, I just done this film with Dana Carvey called Clean Slate with he and uh, you yeah, know, Kevin Kevin, Kevin Pollak and uh, but you know Valeria Golino, you know, who's this very sexy Italian actress. She's you know we were friends and she's like, you know, baby, I, I can't believe we're doing this movie together. You know, with the Zuckermans, you know, and uh, <laughs> so I so i worked with dana and he's like hey you're kind of funny and hey how, how oh, do you really
0: feel?
1: <laughs> you know what
0: really that's uh so he just he he got you
1: he got me he was like yeah i totally get you you're really kind of like a character actress and you do all these characters and all these voices and you know we've been trying to you know I'm, you know he's like you know i'm thinking about who to cast as Garthette, who's like you know the <laughs> female version of me and you know, I just can't really think of anybody and nor can Lauren Michaels or, you know, Mike Myers. And I was like, he's like, you know, you, you think you can kind of, you know, move your mouth like this. And feel <laughs> naughty in a naughty place, you know, <laughs> and it was so I started playing around at the catering table. And he's like, oh, he's like, yeah, this is this is going to work really well. He's going to he's like, I'm going to call Lorne right now and. So I ended up at this table reading, literally doing all the female roles at the table reading, with the exception of Tia Carrera, who came and they'd offered me the Drew Barrymore part, which was a bigger role. Oh, but really? I thought, oh, I wanna, I wanna play Garthek because she's a nerd and I'm a nerd and, uh, you know.
0: <laughs> and that's, I think, a, a perfect uh, segue to um, our, if you can tell. Rohit is, uh, is a, is a bit of a star Wars fan. Oh yeah. I yeah kinda got there's, that. um, <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's, there's some,
2: uh, some Legos. I got lightsabers. Uh, yeah, it, it's kind of a, a problem, <laughs> but when I found out, you know, we get a chance to interview Luminara for our show, yes. I was pretty damn excited. So, you know, I think. As an actor, you—it's it, you know. Which is real quick for those are, who,
0: Luminar is a character in the Star Wars universe played by yes. Olivia. Um yes. For those who who aren't aren't familiar with the character, just so we know. So, Roy, keep going. Obviously.
2: Yes, and so you know, as a fellow nerd, <laughs> yes, I know there's exactly. lots of places. <laughs> there's lots of places, like lots of franchises you could be in, but the top of the mountain. At least in my opinion is to be cast into a star wars property i don't know if you feel the same way but i was wondering like could you tell us about that you know like how you how you feel about the star wars universe and and you know any if you have any anecdotes about it
1: Hmm. well again i feel incredibly privileged very lucky uh you know uh so much of this business is is your talent but uh, you know it's it's a real toss up between talent timing and luck and um you know I got into uh, and and very happily so that I got into and broke into voiceovers like 20 years ago. Um, so because it's an incredibly elitist group um, and it's a small group and and the casting system is you know very particular and uh, you know you need to work your way up. It's uh, it's 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 one of the best jobs in the world because you can show up in your pajamas and with with Star Wars uh, Luminara you know, she. we'd kind of known about her from the uh, live action movie um, where I believe an actress played her. And so when they uh, transferred over into bringing her to life, uh, which was an idea and only supposed to be one to two shows uh, kind of, uh, you know, where, um, uh, you know, the, the other character is my apprentice and obviously I'm a Jedi. So I, I did. I went in and I, I read for it. Um, and and they really liked my read, and um, and then they cast me. And but I didn't know it was going to be a reoccurring role for the entire, you know, for right. quite a few shows. Which then led into other opportunities. Uh, you know, they. I love. I just love. I've had several opportunities of playing characters in television where they die. And then they come back to life, you know, Nicole (laughs) Wallace being one of them. It's like, I just, you know, she, that, that's a whole other kettle of fish. But I mean, I came back to life as Nicole Wallace on a completely different show, which was shot in Paris. And it was because (laughs) of the writer who uh, wrote, uh, who created Nicole Wallace on Law and Order Criminal Intent. And his name was Renee Balsam and he's an amazing writer. Um, And he, did his own show in Paris with Jean Renault. So he brought me back to life. But the but the fact that it was JJ Abrams' idea to uh, to combine all the Jedi's in the whole trilogy, in the whole franchise, you know, whether you be an animated character or a live action character, and bring all the Jedi's back for, for, for that one particular scene toward the end of the movie to really inspire um, you know, the main the main character the female main character was just, I mean, it's just so, it was just, I, I got this call in t- 2019, you know, I was in Beverly Hills somewhere just parked, you know, which I do quite, quite, <laughs> quite often. I just, on the side of the road oh, I so that's
0: something. you, I see. Okay, yeah, got it. Yeah, that's
1: me. That's yeah. me. It's always me. <laughs> <never> <laughs> in, the big,
2: in, the, in the big camper with the kind of just like setting up a chair outside.
0: Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, that's you. That one. Yeah,
1: yeah I, so I got this call, you know, from, it was actually a message that I got from like camp Star Wars up in like, you know, San Francisco. How- and it was this woman who just said, Hi, Olivia. This is uh, Amanda so-and-so, and we think we have what's an interesting opportunity for you. Uh, <laughs> if you'd like to call me back, uh, this is my number, and my extension is 315. And I called her back, and I spoke to her, and she's like, well, I mean, are you interested in coming back and playing Luminara in in, in Rise and Fall of Skywalker? We're almost done shooting it. We're just doing, you know, the, the, the last part of it. And I was like... <laughs> you know? i'll think about it uh, yeah, yeah. yes, you know? yes. And, how many uh, times and i and i and i did say I, you know i wanted to be ethical and so i said yes and she's like good because we can just deal with you or we can call your agent it's really up to you and i said yeah well yeah probably best to call my agent so i put them through my agent um at imperium 7 and and um and they set it up and i I mean, I like literally a week later, I was going to the Star Wars main camp here in Los Angeles, which is in Santa Monica. And I walked through the doors and I didn't know I was going to be doing a session with JJ Abrams. I mean, that was completely unbeknownst to me. I just thought I'd be in there with like an engineer and, um, you know, I walked in and to the right of me, there's like, you know, Chewbacca behind these glass doors you know, <laughs> his, and, and like Princess Leia's, you know, sort of donut hairdo. And there's like an entire kitchen of like sushi chefs in front of me with like copper, you know, copper sort of um, a seating area. And and it, it's just completely off the hook. Like everywhere you look, you just literally walked into the Star Wars universe. And uh, I sound you realize
0: you're like what you're describing now for Rohit is porn.
1: It's
2: yeah, porn. I'm just like
0: porn, yeah,
2: tears, yeah, it's like, it's like, joy, it and jealousy.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know what? I give you, have good reason to be jealous, right? Because, <laughs> because I yeah. was just, I had an out of body experience, and so they took me up several flights of stairs, and I went into this just epic sound stage it's all black very high ceilings and there's this kind of you know lovely man who's there and he's like very chill seems like seems kind of like a jedi to me too in a way but he's you know on the technical side behind the cameras and (laughs) uh, and he's like um So uh we're just gonna wait a couple of minutes because uh I believe that JJ's gonna come in now and uh he wants to be in session with you uh to direct you through each line. Uh and <laughs> and by the way, here are your lines, you know, and I have I'm just like standing by this stand and he's micing uh-huh. me. And then JJ Abrams bloody well walks <laughs> just like, what? <laughs> oh this is just oh my god this is just crazy and um he couldn't have been nicer he's just such a lovely lovely man and um i you know he directed me and i spent several hours with him you know going through each line and then he gave me the opportunity to and then he'd kind of be like right by my ear going you know try it this way and you know and i so I'd try it that way and you go okay on this side just just like say whatever you want to say because because you know Luminara so just yeah just just kind of do whatever you want to do just but but just let it flow and then maybe go into the last line you know and just kind of marry the two and so i did that and it just it was just a complete dream come true and and then you know when i was on the clone wars i actually got to in every episode that i did that i was in I would get to be in there with like all of the cast, like 12 of the. So sorry, my uh, emails are going off. I wasn't quite sure how to use it. it. But yeah, but I mean, that was just mad in the most amazing way, because it's just the most, it was the most brilliant group of voiceover actors. And some of them are actors and some of them are just strictly do voiceovers. And there's a real correlation between voiceover actors and comedians, you know, it's it, it's who they are when they're not saying their lines and we have a break and everybody just kind of starts talking and everybody's like and some, you know we're, we all have characters inside of our head that we're kind of like trying on with each other you know <laughs> and it's just and and obviously the animators were there so they're oh, cool. behind the glass and they're sitting there sketching because they're trying to find all the little nuances and pick up on all the little nuances that we as actors have uh, and, and the facial movements and you know the expressions and the way we speak and so that they're they're trying to pick up on the local osmosis that's in the room, so it just is just the most live um, amazing experience I mean, just what incredible just I'm just so lucky, you know, it's just uh.
0: And- I, 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 you
1: are. know, I'm part of a group called the Dirty Dozen, and it's about 12 actors who've done both Star Wars and Star Trek. And uh-huh. um, I played a, you know, I just did one episode of playing this character, Amanda, Don, um, Amanda Rogers, who's also omnipotent like Luminara, and she's a Q. So, uh, <laughs> you know, th- there's a similarity between a Jedi and a Q in terms of their omnipotent powers, right? Um, and I'm—I just kind of notice a pattern with some of the work that I've done. Is it—it'll kind of go, you know, omnipotent, clairvoyant character, you know, hippie, uh, <laughs> nerd. Uh, then you know, oh, oh, here we have—I think uh, Olivia's ready for another uh, omnipotent uh, character. <laughs> you know, and then it'll be like sitcom, sitcom, weird movie. Shouldn't have done that movie. Uh, <laughs> to uh, okay, and, and now now we're going to play a serial killer, and now we're going to, you know, uh, and then back to uh, playing playing a Jedi. You know, e- either way you toss it, whether it's live action or animation, it's still a character uh, that you are uh, given the opportunity to create from the toes up. You know, and and it's, it's uh, and it's just amazing.
0: But for now, I have to give you this opportunity to bring up anything that you feel hopeless about right now. And we have to, in just a minute or two, bring you hope. That's our job. And if we don't, if we fail, um, sorry in advance. But we're gonna try.
1: All right. So re- like, like for real, like I gotta get personal and vulnerable. No, 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 no. Right?
0: It could just be like <laughs> it would. Could just be you stubbed your you, you stubbed your toe, or you could tell us. Uh, you know, we're here to give you uh, life therapy. Either
1: way, um, I I I feel a bit hopeless about. Does Putin have to die in order for the Ukraine war to end?
0: Or, ooh, ooh, um.
1: I'm getting deep, guys, because I'm a deep truth seeker. So I'm <laughs> oh. gonna make you work for your
0: but- well, We're gonna, you know what? <laughs> uh, oh, anyway, it's been great having Olivia Dabo on the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, sorry, we just ran out of time. No, no, well, uh, so uh, uh, answer your question. Yeah, well, Ro- tell, do you- Rohit? I have an tell idea. It, uh, I tell yeah,
1: air with two A's, Aaron the Wolves.
0: All right, I'm gonna gi- I'm gonna give it to you so are you yeah well yeah whoa (laughs) i mean i have the mattress so
1: um
0: i do i I do not I, i do not think that uh he needs to die in order for ukraine to win i think already a year into this war approximately we are uh seeing that the ukraine has defied just about every odd possible. People thought two weeks in, Zelensky would be dead. He wasn't. He's still with us and leading them. And they're on the offensive in a lot of ways now. So I think to try to expect what we think is going to happen with this war, which now they say in order for this war to end, Putin has to die, um, is us being naive to the fact that this has been a war of the unexpected. So I don't think we're going to, I don't think that we know the narrative as it's going to play out and to be to be a, to be simple enough to think we can predict it with uh with the with Putin having to die I think is also naive because I think it's going to it could go in many different directions and uh so far it's only it's surprised mainly with breaths of fresh air that at least, that they've done so well and the world's come together minus uh Trump the other night with with him saying that he didn't care who won. Um, the world has come together around Ukraine, and uh, and I think uh, I think that's the they're...
1: positive, less hopeless outlook.
2: Yes, yeah. I mean, and another thing is he's gonna be he's possibly the one of the hardest men in the world. Uh, if somebody was to try and do something like that, if there was someone to try to take him out, and here's the thing, it might be better with him alive because if he was to meet some sort of untimely end, that is enough. For Russia because it's not just him pushing the buttons in Russia that, that believes that they want you know the USSR to rise again and wants to take over Ukraine and all that it's not just him not only would somebody else step into his place but his death would then be blamed on the west and it would then be a cause for war that could be even a greater scale so it's almost like better the devil you know and maybe he'll get tired out um, with fewer things to sort of expand this war beyond the borders of Russia, Ukraine. So, yeah, I think, yeah, he's not going to die and it might be better if he doesn't.
0: Do you, And now, Olivia, do you feel a little more hope?
1: I certainly do. And I'll tell you why, because, you know, you both seem to have a wealth of uh, understanding on this whole premise and topic. And, uh, um, you know, you just, you've just made a lot of interesting po- points, I- I- including some very real things that I hadn't thought of which is you know the positive aspects of this war um which just I couldn't see the wood from the trees I I couldn't see any positives until this very moment
0: well that's that's why you came on and now is the time when you uh thank us so will you will you just thank us for uh for being willing to help you (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah you saved me just just thousands of dollars in therapy and I, exactly. I, thank, I thank
0: you for that no in joking aside it's been so fun having you on I mean uh everything uh we've we've you've said it all but there's still more to say and uh I just I've had a blast it's been and, and, and very insightful too so I really uh thank you uh for for coming on
2: uh, As have I, yes. And, and one thing, Olivia, is Aaron and I have interviewed a number of guests, and I think you have been the one guest that has actually, like, we didn't really have to ask you too many questions because you kind of just predicted what we were already going to ask, and you just kind of talked to it. So thanks for that.
0: Yeah, this is AI me right now. I'm not even actually yes. here. Crazy. What's
1: AI me? What, what, what? AI, I'm, I'm. it's
0: artificial intelligence Aaron right now. Because okay. I didn't actually need to be here because you did all the work.
1: Right. That's handy, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's perfect. So I'm actually like at home cooking. Real me. <laughs> this is getting very meta now. But thank you, Olivia. This has been so fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, hope uh, to the audience that we've in, you've enjoyed, Olivia. And real quick, where if they want to follow you on socials, what's your social stuff? If you want to, uh, you know,
1: you know my, uh, my social media, you know, my, uh, my Instagram address. Yeah. Right? We're
0: friends on Instagram. Um, so, so... so can
1: you tell me what it is? Cause, uh, <laughs> I
0: it's... love it. This is why, this it's is why you're badass. Isn't, isn't um, it
1: badass. yeah, it's ass. just,
0: it's your name. It's just Olivia Dalbo. Uh, that's it. That's you. Yeah. As, so, is, uh,
1: as is my Twitter, I believe. Um, as is your
0: Twitter. So, um,
1: and then i'm on on facebook as well um it's a facebook fan page but you know i also have a another facebook page i have two and then uh, you can always go to for any information um in terms of what i'm up to you can go to www.oliviadarbo.net is my um website
2: and Oh, and we will find whoever took dot com and we're going to send them a nasty. Yeah. Video. Yeah. Please,
1: please, please a, take care of that. Would you love?
0: Well, in our crime syndicate. Our new crime syndicate. Yeah.
2: That could be our. Yeah. That could be our first
1: mission. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Is
0: to. Uh, our first murder. I'm really. excited. Well, not murder. It's, we're, it's, we're just our calling our them eliminations.
2: Elimination. Yes, target. 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 Eliminations. eliminations. Yeah. We're not murderers. Great.
0: Um, so thank you. And. Uh, um Yay.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been, see you next time. It's been and, a real uh, pleasure um, uh, spending this time with you guys. So thank you for your wonderful questions and your wonderful presence, Hannah.
2: Oh, that was fun. Thank you very, very, very much, Olivia. Uh, there was there was definitely some some you know some fun anecdotes, and uh, you know thank you for sharing what you did. And you know maybe maybe you can join us again. Uh, for the pod, because I think there's probably some more stuff we, we,
0: we have to dig into. And, and there will be more stuff. We will post the elongated interview, uh, next week. So after you listen to this, there will be more content with Olivia that, uh, we always try to bring with our interviews. So, uh, so that's next. Yes. Long live Luminara. Long. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, so let's, uh, let's dive into some, uh. Some hope in 60. Yeah, we got some fun ones. Um, Really upbeat. And
2: maybe I shouldn't be upbeat because, oh, man, here we go. Aaron, I'm going to start the timer. Uh, The 60 seconds. Let me make sure I pull up the correct article. Yep, here it is. 60 seconds starts now. Okay, so... A Brazilian doctor delivering a baby. Um, he allegedly ripped the newborn's head off during her her body during childbirth. The mother yeah. was uh, having trouble pushing and like making room, so the the doctor jumped up and started jumping on her stomach to push the baby through. And then he pulled the baby out and ripped its head off.
0: Uh, so, yeah, a little hopeless. You're really going at me today with these topics. Yeah. <laughs> I have 29 seconds for it to give hope. Um, I don't think that that doctor should deliver another baby, and <laughs> I don't now think he this will. <laughs> and this is proof. So, at, there's always a silver lining, and at the very least, we now know that there will not be more babies misdelivered by this doctor.
2: Yeah, yeah, or maybe this they'll start doing some sort of screening.
0: Of yeah, least, this will start a new uh, a new screening uh, a new screening yeah, process. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: you know because I agree. I think that I think that actually helps. It's like it's like oftentimes we put illicit trust into medical professionals, but they're humans too, which means some are great, some are bad, some are insane and some shouldn't be working anymore.
0: yeah, and you know it reminds me of something that I experienced um, that has nothing to do with this, but it's about a bad thing leading to a good thing. Can I share that with you? Please. Uh, So I was in college, and I got on a flight to go home, and it was about to be Valentine's Day, I think. And I was uh, coming back home for something, and I'm on the JetBlue flight, and there's a huge blizzard, massive. They take the plane out, and it's we start not taking off and then an hour goes by and they're like we're delayed because the blizzard two hours go by three hours go by four hours go by i'm watching on uh the new on cnn at this point on the little tv in jet blue and our plane is on the news and it's the biggest story of the day they're covering our plane some things in the plane start to break around hour four and five six Uh, passengers become unruly. Some little fights start breaking out. The bathrooms break. They have to open the the doors so that they can let ventilation in. So then there was like gusts of wind and snow coming in. And this is by about hours eight and nine. And eventually around hour 12 and a half of being on this plane stuck. Uh, On the runway. Everything now broken. They brought out some sort of car with a fire like a like a fire hose and started uh, burning the ice off the wheels because the wheels had fr- the plane had frozen to the tarmac at JFK. And you know JFK went once you go out, you're at like a mile or two away from the yes the yes. um the gate. So at 12 and a half hours they they towed us back, to the gate we get off and it's just full-on insanity and we're all just stuck you can't get out of the airport you can't get into the airport people have been on this plane for 12 and a half hours um and i ended up being there at the airport for another like 36 hours before i found a way home um and and then the moment i got home i got atrocious i had to go to urgent care i had atrocious strep throat From all the germs from the plane. So why I thought of this story with your hope in 60 is that led to a passenger bill of rights. That flight I was on led to a passenger bill of rights that exists to this day so that no one can. I think it's two hours max. If you think that the flight is going to be delayed on the tarmac more than two hours, you can't take it out. So since then they have not been able in the United States to do this. So no flights have like this. These flights never should have been taken out in the first place. They were trying to sneak off some flights. So what it led to is the passenger bill of rights. Anyone can look up this story if you want. It was all over the news at the time and it was front page in every paper. And, uh, and if you look at the picture of that flight picture, me sitting there curled up in a ball, praying that it ends just making it end please uh please end um i had a bunch of uh like uh allergy medicine that makes you sleepy and so i definitely did not adhere to the take one every 4 hours i was taking one every like hour oh, just to sleep Jesus. through all this stuff yeah because it was just so chaotic and nuts and like the flight attendants versus the passenger anyway, but it led to the passenger bill of rights. So sometimes <laughs> my long winded story is sometimes bad things can lead in the long run to something good happening.
2: That's crazy. And Jeff doesn't even have business class, right? With laydowns and everything like that between LA and New York, right?
0: Definitely not. Then it was just one. Oh, you just God. You see seat. Yeah. yeah. The horror. Ugh. And uh, you would think, and, and I, I, I even wrote like a little treatment script about this, um, but I never went further because it was just it, too much PTSD. You can call but, it tarmac. Ah, there we go. Oh, that'll be a, a big hit. Yes. So that's a long winded uh, answer to that. Hopefully hope. in well, I love,
2: I love a good story and I know all our listeners do too. And that made me just start sweating. Just imagine just having to live through that. So thank God it was you and not me. All right. <laughs> the next could have been you, uh,
0: could have been you. It was me instead. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Woo!
2: All right, the next one. Okay, so California has just defaulted on $18.6 billion in debt to the federal government. The TLDR, it was that uh, California uh, ran out of money to play uh, to pay unemployment during COVID. So it borrowed money from the federal government and has decided uh, that they just killed the proposal to pay back the government. Said, no, we're not gonna pay back the government. Um, we're actually going to increase taxes on businesses and businesses are gonna pay back the government. Um, so that now small businesses and big businesses are gonna definitely see some big hikes. And also they found out that there was uh, $32.6 billion in fraud because of system upgrades that they chose not to upgrade. Um, that would have cost, I think, $1.4 million uh, to upgrade. And so, yeah, California is now, um, yeah, taxes going to go up. Where's the hope? I only gave you 12 seconds
0: i still love cali man cali's the chillest <laughs> state in the, in the in the country california love baby we got beaches we got mountains we got beautiful women we got beautiful uh scenery man come yeah. down to cali whatever you'll pay a little more but you'll get a lot more yeah
2: we'll all be chilling just underneath the bridge in our tents laying on our cardboard boxes so i look forward to this future um,
0: yeah come to cali man you'll still have yeah. a good time yeah
2: but don't come to california if you're trying to to do anything in terms of fiscal responsibility from the governance standpoint. But anyway, it's a great, great state. We love it.
0: We Um, love it. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to hope gone Cali because everyone who hates on it, just come here. You'll have a good time. Promise.
2: (laughs) Just don't hire anybody that has been in charge of California budgets to do any sort of budgeting for you ever. Um,
0: Yeah, man. Most most people here don't even work. They just chill. It's fine. Yeah, bro. (laughs) Let's move on, Aaron. All right, I am so excited. I'm actually, well, first, I'm depressed. So our segment now that's been going on for a while, MAGA Monday, um, where we bring you all things MAGA. And if you've been listening, you know that I have a admiration and love for George Santos, the congressman out of Queens. I think he is a joking genius. I think he is, I've said many times, the Andy... Uh, Kaufman of mm-hmm. politics just you know he he surprises me every every single time he's in the news with his yeah. brilliance he's and he's
2: just a guy he's the guy
0: he is the guy and I just I commend it I'm amazed that he's been able to pull off what he's pulled off and yes of course he's he's a problem and unfortunately And uh, not actually a good guy, but I've been enamored by him. But we have some very bad news, Rohit.
2: What do we got?
0: George Santos has been arrested. For being awesome? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's... uh, So here's... He has been charged of 13 criminal counts. But he will not. So one one good thing, and this is why again my admiration and respect for the man is he will not resign. So he's still he's currently in custody, but he is also still one of the uh, four. For, am I right? Four hundred thirty-eight, four hundred thirty-eight congressmen.
2: Uh, I think there's. Let's see. I think that's right. I get right? that right? That's right.
0: How many? Four
2: Congress- thirty-eight. Um. 435 Ooh, well there's 535 close. members of congress but 100 serve in the senate so if you're talking the house of so representatives that's 435
0: 3. yeah off by three so yeah. uh but he's still one of the 435 right now he gave a speech uh pleaded not guilty was in custody got out of custody and uh but i guess i should mention some of the things that he uh wait does he have an ankle bracelet Oh, he's not wearing an ankle bracelet, but I'll, I'll just, oh. I know, I know it's, it, this is hard to, it's hard to even talk about. I'm, I'm really going to miss him. Uh, oh, but yeah. a few of the things, I'm, here's a list of his, of the things he did. Ready? Yes. So he had a, a fraudulent contribution solicitation scheme for, uh, for his campaign. He, uh, at one point said he was a former like volleyball player <laughs> that's just in this that he was like a pro volleyball player uh-huh but he's like 5 foot 6 anyway uh-huh. so he did that um he also was uh um a political consultant uh wh- wh- what does it say oh Okay, he did. He did. He started a lot of businesses, including in uh, Melbourne, Florida, that were just for tax purposes and they didn't actually do anything. So he'd receive a salary from a business that didn't exist. <laughs> Again, this is a genius. I, just, I, I honestly, it hurts too much to keep reading these because. Uh, this man has brought us so much entertainment from saying that he's Jewish and he's not the volleyball player. He said he went to my college of NYU and he never did. Uh, I mean, the, the list goes on of just these hilarious things he's done. And unfortunately, it seems like we are in for the end. Um,
2: I mean, what can we do, Aaron? What can we do to make sure the end of this era is not upon us? How can we help?
0: Uh, I don't know because they say that these thirteen counts are just the beginning of his legal problems. Man, I know. Why do
2: bad things happen to good people? I don't get it.
0: He also operated an illegal Ponzi scheme. (laughs) Yeah, but everybody loves Ponzi schemes. Love them. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, we'll keep you posted. We love George uh, for all his entertainment, even though he's a criminal and a shitty person. Yeah, he's and a solid criminal, though. So, just like, funny. I best. mean, if, it, if any, every best. criminal could be him, like just at least give us tons of entertainment and somehow get elected to, uh, to uh, Congress. If George Santos can be elected to Congress, anybody can be elected to Congress. Yes. This is right. the American dream right here.
2: It's, you know, and here's the thing. And we've talked about this before what George Santos brings to the table is not the fact that he is a convict. It's the transparency of him being a convict and a criminal, (coughs) because I think that makes him the most transparent politician ever because they're all criminals and Uh, he's just open about it. And he's just really, he's normalizing the fact that it's okay to identify yourself as a criminal. You are once you're elected to office.
0: Um, Sure. So uh, now we get to do the. <laughs> now we get to do the uh, the segment that I tried to do last week and failed at because I forgot about revealing information about someone that I should keep anonymous, and so I messed up. But today I'm prepared, it. Right, I will oh, yeah. not be revealing any information. This is a segment called a "cute on quote" or someone I know. Okay. Um, so you're going to have to guess, I believe I have six quotes. You will have to guess, is it QAnon related or from someone QAnon, or is it a someone I know and had a conversation with and they said this? And just a little bit of info for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Donald Trump uh, was guilt, found guilty of um, sexual assault of a woman named E. Jean Carroll, and then was also found guilty of um something else re- like tampering with the case I believe so those uh that just happened so some of this conversation is about a, the woman Eugene Carroll and how Trump was found guilty by a jury uh so are you ready Rohit oh I'm ready all right quote number 1 the e. Jean Carroll sexual assault is a witch hunt he wasn't convicted
2: Uh, so you're saying if this is someone you know Or if it's a QAnon tweet Yeah, exactly it,
0: A QAnon tweeter, or QAnon-esque tweet Like, you know, it's a tweet or it's on an, in an article
2: Okay, so you'd find them Okay, you'd find them in an You'd find these quotes cited somewhere Got yes. it, Got it Um, I would say Or if it's someone you know personally
0: Is it um, someone who actually said this to me? Okay, it now I got it
2: um, in a conversation, I would venture to say this is
0: someone, you know, personally. You are correct. Yeah, this is you are one for one so far. That is a, a statement that was made in quotes to me uh, yesterday. Next quote. Ready? I'm ready. This is a disgrace and the greatest witch hunt of all time.
2: I would say that sounds more of an official statement.
0: That was actually made by Donald Trump.
2: Oh, there it is.
0: So a little he's, little throw he's there. On. Yeah. So a little throw there, but that was actually made by Trump. Um, next one. Trump was issued a fine by New York lefties. That's all that happened. That sounds like a friend. Yes. Whoa, three three for three, except you didn't get Trump as a as a thing. All right, the next one. Trump is the most hunted individual in U.S. political history. Friend. Whoa. I thought that was going to be a throw. That is actually, cr- you're a four for four. Hell yeah, bro. The woman is a Trump-hating radical. Trump has not committed a single crime. Quote. Also someone I know. Oh, said to me. Fuck. I thought I was gonna go You're five for five. Fourth, and then the last one, ready? This will only empower Trump as we rise to the top and eliminate the rest.
2: Oh, that's definitely a QAnon quote. It
0: is. Wow. Row it. Five for six. Yeah, bro. Well, well done. So I'm just uh curious, what do you think of all these quotes? Well, you know, I think that if we're we have to stick
2: with what juries say, you know, I think like we have to hopefully put faith in our judicial system and people, you know, if they're saying, you know, look at what the jury found with Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, it's, it's, they found him, you know, it was on an open shut case, self-defense. This was also a unanimous jury ruling about Trump. So you, you can't reject one and take the other. And so, I think these people got to come to terms with that. Are you just going to pick and choose when you decide to defend a judicial ruling?
0: That's uh, exactly what I think. I think uh, we either honor or don't honor our judicial system, judicial system. And uh, and I think that in this case, uh, I think that's where the uh, the MAGA world becomes very cultish when they're picking and choosing what's convenient and not convenient to their Lord and Savior Trump as opposed to being analytical and being like, you know, there's things that are good, things that are bad. It's not just all this like perfect human and definitely in his case, not. So I just, uh, I mean, that's debatable too. <laughs> exactly. So I just think, uh, cause there isn't a single a person that I know of in my life, political fame, any, anyone of any stature, Who's perfect and who always is correct and stuff? So when people defend someone like this to the ends of the earth, I it's just very very kooky and culty to to me. Um, this was a jury that made a decision, so yes. uh, uh, stick based with on it, people. Facts. Stick with it. So now we are, we're almost done with the show. We have a a, a topic here, Rohit, that I'm uh, very curious your thoughts. So oh. For those who don't know, Richard Dreyfuss, the uh, the actor who's been in, man, a zillion big movies like Jaws and Mr. Holland's Opus and uh, Goodbye Girl and I don't, I mean, it's, what about Bob?
2: Legendary mustache.
0: Legendary mustache. Uh, big, I mean, I assume most people know who he is, right? Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's pretty famous. Um, so actor Richard Dreyfus had this to say about I guess what would you call it, the current state of uh, of the of Hollywood. Um
2: yeah, I, I would say yeah, he's he's reacting to new rules for award shows, um, which have a, which he feels have a greater impact across Hollywood. Why don't you tell us more about it, Aaron?
0: So, yeah, so films have to meet for award shows. Two of the four benchmarks, which cover, among other things, whether the lead actors are from underrepresented groups or if at least 30% of the cast and crew come from these groups. Mm -hmm. And Richard Dreyfuss said um, uh, that these rules make him wanna vomit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Because this is an art form. It's also a form of commerce and it makes money but it's an art and no one should be telling me as an artist that I have to give into the latest, most current idea of what morality is. And, and then he goes on. Um, and, uh, Oh, he said, he did say he cited a bit of history regarding Laurence Olivia being the last white actor to play Othello, referring to the 1965 film in which the British actor performed in black faced. And he said, Olivia played the role brilliantly. Um, and so, I. Oh man! All right.
2: <laughs> Careful of the landmines, Aaron.
0: Aye, aye, aye. Um. Okay. He, other movies he was in: American Graffiti, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um. You know. Okay, so how do I say this? Um, <laughs> he's Jewish. Okay, here's here's how I'll do this. He's Jewish. Richard Dreyfuss is a Jew. One of the probably more successful Jewish actors ever, I guess. Um, one of the best Jews. One of the best Jews. Yeah. If there was a requirement in the Academy, which there's not, that there had to be That Jews were one of these categories and there had it, which it could be, but it isn't where they were the underrepresented minority and there had to be 30% of Jews in any of these uh, in either any of one of the lead roles or in the cast and crew. I would say that that is ridiculous, that that should not be the case because you want to get who is best for that role in that role. And there have been many underrepresented uh, communities, Jews being one of them, one of the most um, shamed and, uh, you know, killed. And, you know, Jews have taken it all. And, oh, yeah. And uh, I never would expect someone in 1946 when the war ended, 1945, I would not have expected people to take. Jews from the Holocaust, and immediately put 30% of them in movies because they were just treated so um, poorly because you still want the best. You want everyone to have an equal chance, but you, I don't think want to, would would want to give the Jews the upper hand just because of what had happened to them in the past. Uh, How did I handle that?
2: I think he it handled pretty well. I, I think what I actually want to and I'm, and you know, said so we are not passing judgment on what Dreyfus said one way or another. We are just expressing our own reactions to it. The it, this reminds me of something very interesting in the NFL, uh, where they instituted something called the Rooney Rule. Now, the Rooney Rule means when uh, an NFL team has a head coaching vacancy and they're interviewing candidates. At least one candidate in their interview pool needs to be a black head coach. And people, you know, I think there's a lot of justification here. He's like, the majority of NFL players are black. You have so many assistants that are black. You have more and more, you know, like people are recognizing just how, you know, how really driven by black Americans the sport is. So why not black coaches? And that it's a good question. Why not? And just, you know, traditionally, I think it goes without saying why not, just because power structure is the way they've been. However, there's been kind of uh, a bit of not only backlash, but a bit of some unintended sort of fallout from this. Hmm. What you're seeing with certain head coaches, they're like, yeah, every time there's a head coach opening, I get an interview, but I know I'm not going to get the job. I'm just the token guy that is just getting dragged along for an interview what happens is you see teams just checking boxes hey we we, we, we interviewed we interviewed a blackhead coach we did our due diligence but here's this other guy right mm-hmm. um, and then when you do have some of these coaches get hired you'll see shit like if they're not performing well you'll be like oh that was a Rooney rule hiring right you'll see oh they wow. got the job because they 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 had to and I think that's really unfair to the coach and it's really unfair to to everybody in there so then let's flip this over to Hollywood now we have seen brilliant performances by black people brilliant forces by white people I think and Hollywood has gotten a bit more diverse um, when you start to and I think what has happened is like you've had absolutely brilliant talents that have risen to success and a lot of great talents have probably been left in the shadows and not been given opportunities. But I feel maybe the right solution lies somewhere in between where we were and where we're going. Hmm. And I think that there needs to be far more mentorship. There needs to be far more visibility. There needs to be far more opportunities, absolutely, to level the playing field a bit. But you sometimes, you know, certain films. I don't know if it's a film shot in fucking Korea or Iceland, right? They don't, they might not qualify for
0: Oscars. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
2: sorry. How the fuck are they going to, you know, meet those, those requirements, right? What you're doing by militant inclusivity is you're actually taking away Opportunities for others when you don't see what you're trying, but, and and yes, the argument can be made: hey, opportunities were taken away from black Americans for so long. If other people have to take a backseat for a while, I understand that perspective, but I do feel the right approach is in mentorship, the right approach is in visibility. But to treat art not and to regard art not based off of the merits of the work itself but yep. the melanin count of the people that made it. And he Ooh. said, if you didn't have enough of that or you didn't have enough transgender people, you didn't have enough, whatever, then your art doesn't count as the best art. I understand that that feels a bit appalling. Um, but I do huh. think that there's marginalized groups that have not, and right you now aren't getting the same opportunities. And I do think something needs to be done about that.
0: I, I love that. I, I think it's exactly, it's, because to me, it's almost uh, reverse look at me racism with this current, um, these rules. I, you, you phrased it better, but this, like, you have to do it this way. But I wouldn't want someone not as uh, competent as me getting a job over me for reasons that are force fed to them. Because then I like on a set I'd be like uh-oh I'm uh I'm not oh, as yeah, qualified that's... and other people would be looking at me like why am why did I get this gig uh so I think I agree there should be more mentorships and uh inclusivity we've gone come so far from where we were and uh yeah I think that's the right approach cuz I think I don't I don't think some of what Richard Dreyfuss was saying is necessarily like Wrong, like the media is putting it like someone on CNN, uh, like so stupidly said, Yeah, like he's like such a what it what he's never gotten any Academy Awards, unlike Denzel, who's gotten nominated a lot. It's like they said that as part of their argument. I'm like, <laughs> Richard Dreyfus has been nominated for an Academy Award and won another Academy Award, <laughs> uh, so it's like, a, what it's so ridiculous, like, that's your point. Like, we can't get to that. We can't get to the point to where you, you can say something like he did. And like, you're just vilified because, oh, someone shouldn't go there. When, if you read between the lines, what he's saying isn't necessarily all bad.
2: And I, and I always take exception to the, whenever people say you shouldn't have gone there. I take exception to any time because. I believe anybody should be able to go anywhere, and I think any conversation should be able to be had. Doesn't mean doesn't make it right or wrong, but I do think that you can't tell people or stop people from conversing and and bringing their thoughts. And I think the unfortunate thing is Richard Dreyfus spoke out. I think he could have done it a bit more eloquently. I think we all can agree when he says, "Oh, I want to vomit." Um, you can definitely see, you know, it comes from his fu- gut. It's a
0: little funny though.
2: It's it's oh it's a lot funny. It's a lot
0: of funny. No, um, it's not what he probably should have said on record, but it's a lot Yeah, of funny.
2: yeah. He's like I think he just needs to sort of sharpen his his approach a little bit.
0: But I feel hope that at least we have a new solution. That's why this show exists is so that we can yeah. solve all the world's problems and all of Hollywood's problems. And uh, I guess we got to wrap up the show because we uh you know with the interview and everything, we've gone a bit long, but I do have one hope fulfilled already.
2: What do you got? From this show.
0: So I looked and I'd taken a screen grab of a quote that Donald Trump said in his deposition. Uh Uh-huh. That was part of why he was convicted of uh, sexual assault. Okay. So he infamously said that... um, when you're a star, they let you do it. They let you grab them by the pussy. We all know that. That was right when he right before that was probably the campaign slogan that got him elected in 2016. Yeah. Now, he doubled down on that in his deposition in court. And he said, Well, historically that's true with stars, being the being able to grab women by their pussy. It's true you can grab them by their pussy. Uh um uh, oh, the, the attorney wrote, so it's true you can grab them by their pussy? And he said, well, that's what, if you look over the last million years, I guess that's been largely true. Not always, but largely true, unfortunately or fortunately.
2: So like, he was so close. All he did, just he just needed to not have the word f- or fortunately. If he said unfortunately, it's a chance for him to almost have a mea culpa. I've learned, I've grown. And what he is stating is a truth. A truth as long as time. It's not just Hollywood. It's not just stars. It's... it's it, power for as long as yeah, power draws the sort of sexual attraction of potential mates and tradition or not,
0: or the abuse of or the abuse of attraction. Cause with power, yes. you don't want to ever be told no. Exactly.
2: Power is, is, is what drives some of so much of what moves our world. drive, actually power drives everything and it is abused and it is often abused. Um, and I think that was a chance for him to say, yeah, you know, it's, Unfortunately, and you know, even, but I think what he said isn't wrong. I think as long as there's power,
0: there'll be people that abuse it. No, but people. if you're on trial, if you're on trial for exactly this, yeah, and then you say that you can do exactly the thing you're on trial for because your ego is too big that you can't just say that it's bad. Like, yeah, dude, I mean, If he just, you're admitting if he guilt. At, all you need to do is stop at the word unfortunately. Right. But he said, fortunately, because yeah. he's done it like how on a jury can you not convict this guy when and they had a bunch of other women who who is sexually assaulted also testify under oath. And then he under oath is saying that for some, fortunately, you get to do this like this, this gives me a lot of hope because uh, based on the game we played, <laughs> all of all of these comments are so idiotic because I mean, I don't I can't imagine being that big of an idiot that you you, like admit guilt in your deposition. (laughs) So that was pretty fucking dumb. uh, Anyway, I just doesn't
2: know when to like that. That's been his biggest problem. He doesn't know
0: when to shut up. Just shut up. Just say, look, I misspoke and it's terrible when anyone uh, abuses their power and, uh, and touches women inappropriately or grabs women inappropriately. And I was wrong when I said that. That's all he had to do. Easy peasy. Simple so with that I feel hope <laughs> And uh, this is another uh, episode of the hopeless show next we'll be bringing you the full Olivia interview and uh, thank you Olivia Daabo for being on this show this was so fun
2: yes great time and stay hopeful everybody hope is
0: dope bye when the world seems gold and bleak and you just can't take it anymore here it comes the
1: glimmer of hope a light shines through it's a hopeless show, when Aaron and Roe get won't It's a hopeless show, when Aaron and Roe get won't